Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing The Lost Boys from 1987. Directed by Joel Schumacher, written by Jan Fisher, James Jeremias, and Jeffrey Bohm, starring Jason Patrick, Corey Haim, Kiefer Sutherland, Diane Wiest, and Corey Feldman. In this film, two brothers who are new to town discover that their new city has a vampire problem. If you're new to the show, we're going to discuss some background info on the movie for the first 20 minutes or so. We're going to keep that spoiler-free. But once we play the transition music and take our little break, we're going to come back and walk through the plot spoiler mode and spoil everything and review the movie. So once you hear that transition music, if you haven't seen the movie, go uh, watch it. I think it's on... Tubi, right? That's where I saw it. Yeah, kind of cool. Streaming on Tubi. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this was requested quite a while ago, actually, by Marco. Bloody Vegan recently brought it up as something we should watch. And I think a few more folks even chimed in on this one. And then it came in second when I did that poll a few weeks ago. Rosemary's Baby won the poll, but Lost Boys was a close second, and people were pretty adamant about wanting that to be covered. So, so here we are. We're getting that, too. And last place was uh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic right? Park was dead last, but I <laughs> I wanted that one the most. So yeah. I'm going to shove that down people's throats, whether they like it or not, at some point. I can't wait. And 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 try to try to argue that it's a horror movie. <laughs> That'll be fun. I can't wait for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a uh, this is clearly a horror movie, right? It's a vampire film. Sure. Um. Directed by Joel Schumacher. He was originally a fashion designer. I didn't know that. He got into the world of movies via production and costume design. And then he started doing some writing and eventually worked his way into directing. He started to get critical and commercial recognition as a director with films like St. Almo's Fire and this, The Lost Boys. He went on to direct Flatliners, The Client, A Time to Kill, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Phone Booth, and many others. You remember those goofy... Batman movies? Yeah, I didn't realize he did Forever as well. I, I know he did, uh, I was equated him with Batman and Robin and that being like a pretty low point, but Forever, uh, I actually had some respect for that film. Yeah, I don't think Batman Forever was as all-out goofy as Batman and Robin. Yeah, yeah, that got really schlocky. It did, yeah. Um, and I didn't really realize that Joel Schumacher is a gay man and he like infused some homoeroticism into those movies, which I... I was too young to even be thinking about that, but I remember it was a big deal that, like, the Batsuit had nipples. Oh, right. And, like, a, the cod piece was kind of you know, especially noticeable. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wonder, uh, did, did you notice anything in this film that you're going to call out signs of that? Hmm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. And no, I didn't really, like, try to draw that th- thread through, but... Yeah. It's a very sexy movie, and the sexiness is all dudes. It is. Sexy dudes. A lot of sexy dudes in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the alternative title. The Lost Boys <laughs> are the sexy dudes. a lot of sexy dudes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know when the move they moved to this town, there'd be lots of sexy dudes there. Exactly. <laughs> sexy dude capital of the world. Uh, this was written... Modeled after the Goonies, which makes a lot of sense when you think about the plot and the underground lair and everything like that. Um, Janice and James were the first, they were first time screenwriters and their script was purchased for 400K, which is 
really cool to hear for somebody who has an imagined world where one day they write a screenplay and sell it. Yeah. Um, that's you. Oh, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you idiot. <laughs> no, I, every once in a while I swear to myself I'm going to write a screenplay. But Yeah, you totally should, man. Like the, I'm pretty sure I'll die not doing that. Yeah. Uh, um, and then Jeffrey Bohm was hired and he came in and kind of retooled it. The original script, they were kind of young kids. Like it did stick closer to the Goonies. And he upped the ages a little bit to get everything more sexy at Schumacher's direction. Goonies was what, like two, three years before this? 1985 maybe? I think Goonies was 1985. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he definitely got a lot of vibes of that in this. And then, uh, yeah, it, it, interesting that like, yeah, someone else came in and tried to like adult it up a little bit. I, th- I think you can kind of see like that effort. Yes, for sure. But at the same time, it's all pretty seen. Like you can see that when you put read that background and everything, you can put the pieces together. But at the same time, it feels like a pretty cohesive, fully formed thing. It's not like somebody tacked something on to make some sort of Frankenstein movie. You don't feel like at its heart it's like a kid's adventure film and then like tacked on with like some adult themes of like cool teenagers, uh, the idea of uh, drugs, alcohol, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it is. So, I, yeah, I guess I see your point. It, it doesn't feel like too... Uh, two disparate parts jammed together though when you're watching it sure at least yeah, not yeah. to me yeah but yeah it very much at its heart is a kid adventure film we've talked about stephen king a lot too and how his movies are like kids king, king or versus, spielberg uh i'm thinking of stephen king but spielberg oh. spielberg kind of does it too oh. um King with the bully and stuff, right? And the kids, yeah, on just like yeah, maybe there's bullies, and and there's so often a bunch of kids battling a force that the adults either don't believe in or can't help them for some reason. It's just kids on their own, right? right. Like that's a very Stephen King thing. And actually, speaking of King, uh, Feldman and Kiefer Sutherland had just finished shooting Stand by Me, right? Before this. Right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that, that is a King thing, but also kind of a Spielberg thing. Like E.T. was in the 80s and similar vibe. I wonder if it was like more of an 80s thing. Like you had a lot yeah. of these movies of kids like saving the world uh, on their bicycles and their walkie talkies uh, and the adults not being clued in. I do think it is a big 80s thing. I think part of that might be just the fact that parenting was more lax in the 80s and kids were able to like go off on their own more often some yeah. of the, like my parents are worry wards and some of the stuff they would let me do i'm like i wouldn't let my kids do that now <laughs> yeah it's just a different time i also feel like the people who are writing and making art and entertainment at that period of time were very nostalgic for their 1950s mm, yeah. upbringing where you know you just left the house and came back at dinner time right right yeah yeah, it could be a throwback to that time, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I wonder, like, do you feel like uh, when you see similar movies of this genre today, which I guess, I don't know what I would compare it to, but, like, another thing where, like, kids are, like, saving the world, maybe, like, Spy Kids or something. Uh, Stranger Things, man. Oh, Stranger Things, yeah. But, I mean, Stranger Things completely is, like, on, it's on so, this. It's such a nostalgia. Yeah, it's, yeah, you don't even see that today that much without it being, like... A throwback. A throwback, yeah. Or at yeah. least not in media geared towards people our age, right? Like, yeah. I'm sure there's way more of that. I mean, my kid is watching stuff where little kids fight crime, you know? Right, right. Is it animated? 
you want to see your age group getting in on the action. For sure. Yeah, having an impact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he yeah. watches like a little kid's Spider-Man and stuff. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that, that's Where they're all kids. Today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see, man. What, where else we want to go? I think a pretty iconic duo here are Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. They became a bit of a pop culture duo after this film. They were known as the two Corys and were kind of teen idols. And they started alongside each other in seven films through the 80s and 90s. Both of them battled drug abuse later in life, and Corey Haim would die of pneumonia before even reaching the age of 40. And Corey Feldman, man, we've had to discuss so much like problematic, dicey <laughs> stuff to discuss with Rosemary's Baby and Brian right. Singer on Taking of Deborah Logan. So he made a documentary, I think it was in 2020, called My Truth, The Rape of Two Corys, detailing how he and Corey Haim were sexually abused as young actors in Hollywood. One of the actors he calls out for raping him is Charlie Sheen. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, from what I can tell, that these allegations haven't been taken very seriously because Feldman is also claiming things like there's a group of people who are after him and that group is headed by Corey Haim's mother... Huh. And I think some of his claims have been undercut by the fact that he's also got some sexual assault and harassment claims against him. Wow. It's just kind of a sad story altogether. And I'm guessing there's probably a lot of truth to his claims. But yeah, it, from what I've read, it sounds like the baby's kind of being thrown out with the bathwater in his mm-hmm. instance. Sure. But I, I didn't have too much time to to fully get a good education on that. Is he still acting in films? I, I haven't checked out his latest filmography, but is, is he still like an active actor? I don't think he's super active aside from some cameos here and okay. there. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I didn't check his IMDb page. There yeah. was a lot of angles to go down research-wise with this movie. So. Yeah, yeah, so much. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I know he was huge in the 80s and 90s, uh, but I like. I feel like I really know, or I hear his name brought up in like anything more recently. Right, right. And yeah, we've discussed him on this. He's been on two of the movies we've reviewed, Friday the 13th, Final Chapter. Uh, I guess he was even briefly in the one after that. Mm-hmm. He was in Gremlins, Stand By Me, The Burbs. We didn't discuss Stand By Me or The Burbs, but Gremlins in those Friday the 13th we did. He was also Donatello in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action movie. Oh, that was his voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. I didn't realize that. I feel like people don't realize that, but yeah. Yeah, I didn't know they had like big actors behind that film. <laughs> uh, and Corey Haim, I I'm not really super familiar with many of his movies, but I think he was making movies that just weren't really. I was a little young for the movies he was making at the time, probably. Yeah. But I recently watched a werewolf movie he was in called Silver Bullet. Hmm. I think that was from '84 or '85, and that was pretty good. Oh, cool, cool. We should review that one one day. Okay, I'm down. The movie itself, Lost Boys, has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 76%. For critics, 85% for users. It had a budget of $8.5 million and a box office of $32.2 million. Uh, that was mostly domestic. It didn't seem to have much of an international release, at least none that I saw uh, dollars for. And it was considered a very big success. It went on to be one of Warner Brothers' most popular video rentals. And it had a big pop culture impact. Were you very aware of this movie as a youth or didn't really come to know it until you were an adult? Uh, I didn't see it until, I think you and I watched this a few years ago, maybe, before we started the podcast. We did, yeah. Right. 
uh, but I was aware of its existence, and I remember seeing like the cover of it in like video stores all the time. So uh, definitely, like, yeah, a name I was familiar with, but I assumed it was like too cool for school. Yeah, I feel like this movie more so belongs to Gen X, maybe a little bit, like, or yeah. the generation right above us. I mean, we were four when this movie came out. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's it, it's all there. But uh, yeah, you think the legacy of it, like the things we've seen in our generation growing up were heavily influenced by this? I think so. And I mean, it's I've read that it's credited with shifting vampires culturally to have like a more youthful appeal. Um, the tagline on one of the posters was sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lost Boys is an allusion to Peter Pan and never having to grow up. So right. it, yeah. I see it gets a lot of credit for, for uh, shifting the narrative on uh, vampires, bringing them into like that teen genre and things like Beverly, or sorry, Buffy the Vampire and Twilight right. would probably heavily borrow, borrow from this. Right. Um, but, yeah, you know, like Fright Night is the only other big 80s kind of vampire movie or early vampire movie. Uh, do, like, was that doing the same thing or like, do you think this one like pushed into new territory with vampires? I think this one pushed it a little bit into the new into new territory. Like Chris Sarandon was still a sexy man vampire in that movie, but he was old enough to be considered like a grown adult by mm. kids watching the movie. So that was kind of a kids adventure movie to an effect as well, but the vampires didn't have a youthful coolness to them. Oh, okay. Right? Got it. So this is maybe the first time that we're seeing that with a vampire? Maybe. Okay. I'm sure there were probably instances before this. And there were a lot of, like, sexy vampires. I I think Hammer had some, like, lesbian horror or lesbian vampire movies, too. So it's not the first time vampires have been, like, youthfully sexy, but I think it brought it down to a teen level. Got it. Like it it never quite had been before. Um, Makes sense. Near Dark is another vampire classic from the 80s, just in case anyone was shouting at their phones that we didn't mention that. <laughs> yeah, that's a title I hear a lot. I didn't realize that was from the 80s, too. Yeah, we should review that pretty soon, too. Mm-hmm. That's Catherine Bigelow. Oh, right. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, let's see here. There's there's a franchise here, but it didn't really start coming into fruition until much later. So uh, this, there's a sequel, Lost Boys, The Tribe, which was released straight to DVD in 2008. Uh, it featured Feldman, and Haim made a brief cameo, and Sutherland's half-brother played the main vampire. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah, keeping it in the family. Yeah. <laughs> then there was Lost Boys, The Thirst in 2010, uh, Feldman and the dude that played the other frog brother returned in this one. And that that's it for the franchise, just those three films. But it's weird that it was like, what, 20, 30, 30 years later? Right, yeah. Until it came around again? No, 20 years. 20 God, years. I cannot do that. <laughs> Math on the spot's hard. Uh, I think there's also uh, something in development too, right? Uh, there's a script in development for, I don't know if it's going to be a reboot or, or something. Yeah, yeah, this is one of those things where I'm like, is this really going to happen? It was reported in 2021 that there'd be a new movie with Jaden Martell from It and Noah Jupe from Stranger Things, but I haven't seen anything about it lately. Okay, It's listed as in production on IMDb for whatever that's worth, but mm. yeah, that's I could cool. just, it's one of those things I could see falling, falling to the wayside, but sure, we shall see. DVD. Uh, let's see. 
speaking of the Goonies ties, uh, Harvey Bernhard was the DP for this. He shot the film, and he also shot the Goonies, mm-hmm. as well as The Omen from 1976. Cool. I don't have a whole lot of other... I, I was just talking about how many things there were to research with this movie, <laughs> but I don't have that much more in my <laughs> notes. You got anything else you want to share? I think you have the big ones. Uh, the other thing which might come into play when we're going through our review is this was shot in three weeks. Um and it was shot in Santa Cruz. I know, like it, it, they called a a, um, a fictional city of Santa Clara in the, sh- in, the in the movie, um, right? But at the time, Santa Cruz actually did have the vampires, uh, or the murder capital of the world, right? At that time, <laughs> was it really? Oh man, that's crazy. It was, yeah. I think just because of like three serial killers going around in the seventies, and so uh, yeah, it's, it was unofficially the murder capital of the world. Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't know that. I always thought it was just kind of like a, a cool like boardwalk town. Oh, very uh, interesting. Yep. Uh, but I think uh, that is it. Um, you already yeah mentioned the writer. Oh, uh, Richard Donner as a producer. I, I think he was the one that was supposed to direct this, and he obviously like did a lot of big films like The Lethal Weapons. I think the Superman might have been his. Yeah, or Superman. Yeah. So, uh, but then, yeah, he didn't have time to direct this one, but cool to see his name attached to this. Uh, vampire movies in general, do you feel like they're making a comeback? I know, like, next week we're watching Renfield, so what's your thoughts on on the genre overall? I think they're making... Hmm. You know, last year you had, uh, like, Sweetheart and Invitation, so I I feel like it's pushing into that area. Yeah, Jacob's Wife, too, was that two years ago or last year? I think it's pushing back, pushing in a little bit. I think we're getting to a point where, like, hey, you can tell, like, pretty interesting stories with a vampire backdrop. Uh, yeah. Girl Walks Home Alone at Night kind of. Oh, yeah. I feel like Let the Right One In and then Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. God, I can never remember the full title. They, like, kind of brought it into the artsy realm. And we're like, hey, you can do some right interesting things with this genre. So I think that's kind of where it's at right now, people trying to... Yep. play with the genre and see what you can do. Jacob's wife was very much like a middle-aged, like aging romance type story. So that was an yeah. interesting avenue to take it. I agree. Yeah, they've been some really cool, uh, interesting approaches. Oh, what was the other one um, where I'm still not 100% convinced it's a vampire film? But uh, Bliss. Oh, yeah, Bliss. Yeah, right. Those, those yeah, awesome it was kind of like a drug movie. Right, right. Yeah. I think there's some cool parallels you can make, and, and you see some of that in this film, too. Uh, between like what a vampire represents, right? There is a lot you can do with it. I think you can use it as an avenue to tell a, a, many different types of stories. For sure, I agree. I feel like it's in a way not too far from the cannibalism stuff that's kind of been Pop popping up lately. Yeah. yeah, are cannibals like modern day vampires, like the freshes and stuff? Yeah, right. It's uh, bones. I don't know. Yeah, I can't quite quite get into an explanation of how they're similar and different but there's a venn diagram in there you're 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 feasting on people in one way or the other exactly uh okay man anything else Uh, the Ohio connection okay the ohio connection is usually done by our friend alex who connects every movie to our home state of ohio for us but I was today wondering why hasn't alex gotten back to me yet and realized that the email request was stuck it was still in my drafts. So I tried to do one in his styling, but we'll, we'll see how I did. So in the conclusion of this film, Corey Haim's character Sam utters the line, Death by Stereo. 
This iconic line was just begging to become a band name, but it wasn't until over a decade later when a hardcore punk band in Orange County, California adopted the moniker in 1998. The phrase was also used as an album title for a 2014 album by the American jam band Umphreys McGee. Umphreys McGee rose to prominence in the jam band scene throughout the late 90s and the early 2000s, and they frequently toured with other Midwestern jam bands such as Acoustic Hookah. Acoustic Hookah? I'm getting there. Acoustic Hookah hosts a jam band music festival twice a year called Hookahville that has become a staple in the jam band scene. The festival is held twice a year in Acoustic Hookah's home state of Ohio and has been hosted at least 50 times since its inception. Acoustic Hookah has hosted acts such as Blue Oyster Cult, George Clinton, and Parliament Funkadelic, and many others over the years, including Umphreys McGee, who joined the festival for Hookahville 17, held in the spring of 2002 in Hebron, Ohio. In Hebron, Ohio. That's awesome. I don't Damn. even remember how I got... Okay, so a band who had the, an album titled... Death by Stereo. Death by Stereo. That's awesome. Man, when, when he said that line in the movie, I like wrote that down. I'm like, oh, that would be an awesome band name or like a I, song. I said this. I, I wrote down... I almost wrote that down, and then I was like, gotta already be a band it's name. Got, yeah, exactly. And, and man, it is. A Cusick Kuka. I've never heard of those, that, that name in a long time. I had a friend who was like trying to drag me to that uh, one year. I thought it was in like closer to like OU or like Athens or something. But uh, it just sounded like, yeah, why would I want to hang out for like a few days listening to acoustic bands just like jam out endlessly that sounded awful have you, you yeah know? acoustic hookah is actually they're not acoustic i don't uh, know why they th- name themselves that yeah but i think they have like three or four guitarists right the yeah i mean it's just it's jam band it's a whole yeah. bunch of guitars noodling around masturbating sure yeah yeah uh yeah yeah jam bands man i that's i got an issue with them Are you my cousin stuff? no my cousin loves it and it, in the Around the time, probably at the same time as you and your friend tried to drag you, my cousin took me to a lot of acoustic hookah shows. I've seen Humphreys <laughs> McGee before. Yeah. I strongly dislike that genre of music. <laughs> he loved it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely had an audience. I don't know why I went to so many shows with him. Uh, damn. So you saw Humphrey McGee's or Humphrey McGee's? I'm pretty sure I've seen them, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah I've there seen was a while where I felt like I was seeing a lot of jam bands. <laughs> oh, Every time I was like, why do I keep doing this? Yeah, life is too short to be seeing jam bands. <laughs> I agree. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Oh, my God. Somebody <laughs> was so happy that I mentioned these jam bands and now equally upset that we're dissing jam bands. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm not. They, they suck. Yeah. Great connection, uh, though. I feel like Alex would be really proud. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, okay, man, do you uh, want to get into the next phase and walk through the plot and review everything? I'm down. Let's do it. Okay, I just realized, though, um, I might need to call you back. I never told you this, but I'm actually taking saxophone lessons, oh. and I totally forgot I have a lesson tonight. Oh, shoot. Okay, go for it. All right, sorry, man. I'll call you back as soon as it's done. All right. All right, be right back. Hey, man, I'm back. Hey, how's the lesson? 
You know, lessons are going well. Uh, it's a little uncomfortable. My instructor insists that I take my shirt off and oil myself up before every practice <laughs> session. I'm not quite sure why it's necessary. Do you guys I got to even... gyrate a lot. <laughs> Does the saxophone even like ever come out or is it just like it ends, the lesson ends there? <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> now take off your shirt. Oil yourself. Good, good. And gyrate. Yeah. Keep doing that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's man. the hardest part about playing saxophone. It's all those uh, warm-ups. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And you got to be ripped. Yeah. He's constantly talking to me about my pecs. <laughs> all right. Uh, so this film begins on a boardwalk at night where people are enjoying themselves on a merry-go-round until some local street toughs come on the scene and start intimidating a teenage couple. A security guard breaks up the fight and reminds the gang of leather-clad motorcycle-riding punks that they're not allowed on the boardwalk. Later that night, as the boardwalk is closing up, we see that the security guard uh, is headed back to his vehicle and then is pulled up into the air by some sort of unseen supernatural airborne force. Uh, and that that's a wrap on that cold open, and then we run credits. What did you think of this opening scene, Ash? Uh, I thought the opening music was terrible, and I think that's like a, a theme that we'll hear throughout the movie. Um what is it? Cry little sister. Is that the name of the song? Cry little sister. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got like someone like this kid's choir, like singing like lines out of the Bible or something. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> thou shall not fall. That's so bad. <laughs> it, it's very of the time. It is. Okay. Okay. I think you and I both share a general dislike for like eighties pop sounds. I, I don't know. They like going back. Maybe like not. There, there was a lot of like great bands. Like the Pest was doing cool stuff. New Order was there. Like it was like great like electronic sounds uh, and songs going on. So I don't know. I feel like lately I've come around on them a little bit more. And uh, yeah, this is just kind of a shock to hear. Like yeah. I think like anything that abuts eighties hair metal, we probably don't like. Oh yeah, so that's kind of the territory we're in here. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, I kind of think so. Like the big like stadium drums. That yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of goofy to see this like badass group of like uh, punks harassing people on a carousel. That's just like, like why? And then uh, <laughs> I, I feel like the suspense was kind of lacking on that first attack, where like it's cool we get the aerial shots, so you kind of know something's like flying around, and you get that like view of like the killer potentially. But uh, it just happens so quick with like a lack of suspense. I feel like some of it's lost there. So not too blown away by this opening. But what, what about you? I agree. It was fine, but it, it was so fast, like you said. And it just seemed like it was in to prove a little point and hint at what was coming. And then it was gone. And yeah, they could have had a lot more suspense with the security guard and stuff. I do think there probably was a more threatening location other than a merry-go-round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you're 19 or 20 feeling tough, yeah. you get on a merry-go-round. Exactly. <laughs> There's your target right there. Yeah. What what, what was the age of uh, these? Like, what, what, what age would you put them at? Like, were, were these, like, preteens? Is that why they're hanging out at a boardwalk? Or I feel like they're supposed to be late teenagers. But, it, you know, it's the... Hollywood thing where you have like 20 something year olds play teenagers. Yeah. Although I think Jason Patrick was actually like 22 or 21 or 22. So I thought Kiefer was also like 17 or 18, right? When this was happening. Okay. So maybe, all right. Maybe they were uh, of yeah, age. But yeah, I think they yeah. were, my perception was they were supposed to be late teens or late 20s. Teens, okay. Yeah. Okay. Late teens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Inter interesting location. But it seems like all this town has really is the boardwalk. So that's why a lot of the action and of the movie takes place there 
Yeah, boardwalk's a big deal. I mean, if I lived in a town with a boardwalk and I was a teenager, that's where I'd be. Yeah? Even if you're yeah. a vampire teenager? It's oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Uh, so after the opening credits roll, we meet Michael and Sam, who are moving to the town of Santa Clara, California, with their mother to live with their eccentric taxidermist, semi-reclusive grandfather, after their parents' recent divorce. Michael seems to be in his late teens. Oh, I already wrote this. I wrote down their <laughs> Never mind. I'll the skip ages. right over that. Yeah, yeah Michael is also like a, a late teenager, you'd say? I think Michael's like... I think, yeah, Michael's like late teens... And Sam is probably like early to mid teens. Okay, like fifteen or so. Fifteen? Wow. Yeah, I, I assume like around ten, but yeah, fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, I mean he yeah. still takes baths. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I don't know if that says something about his age or about him. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I take baths, but I feel like there's a period there where you're done with baths, and then you rediscover them as an adult. Oh, interesting. You take a little my, break A bath it. isn't my regular way of bathing, but every once in a while if I'm feeling indulgent. How about you? You ever take baths? Never messed around with a bath. I always felt like really gross about like sitting in a puddle of my own filth. Uh, I think that's like some, some white stuff that I never got into. Okay. Don't insult me right on the show, man. I mean, <laughs> okay, that's some white stuff you never got into. Yeah, huh. just gonna hang around in this water. Is taking a bath like really white? Yeah, I think I, so. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I don't think you find it too commonly in other parts of the world. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's see. Uh, two white guys who take baths. Okay, so they roll into town. Uh, they see an ominous warning on the back of a Welcome to Santa Clara sign where somebody spray-painted Murder Capital of the World on the back of the sign. So, you know, that perks their interest in ours as a viewer, lets us know something's coming. What did uh, what did you think of, like, the rest of the montage? Like, uh, all these shots we're getting of Santa Cruz and, like, all these, like, punks hanging out. Yeah, a lot of punks in Santa Cruz. 80s punks. Yeah, yeah, that was, like, the scene. Yeah, for real. Wow. Lots yeah. of leather, some yeah. long hair. Do you think they over-index a little bit in, in one type of character? I mean, that was that was just... <laughs> that was, that's the nice. style of the movie. I mean, to say they over-indexed it, that's just the way, what the movie is, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, it reminds me of the movie you like. What is it? Return of the Living... Return of the Living Dead? Yeah, where it's like all a bunch of punk characters. So it, this movie feels very similar, where it's like uh, relying very heavily on a certain segment of the population and relying on that to be interesting. But I don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it just seems like, like you don't see that many punks ever. Like, especially around a, a boardwalk. Like, uh, I don't know. It just seems like a weird place for them all to be hanging out. I feel like in the 80s and 90s, Hollywood were got very into certain subcultures of people that weren't as prolific as they appeared to be oh. in film, in entertainment, yeah. TV too. Like, sure. 80s is all about like leather jackets and punks and punk rock and like hair right. metal dudes. Right. And yes, there were plenty of them probably, but like <laughs> everything seemed to be about that. And then you get yeah. into the 90s. And everything's like California surfer dude type right. stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and nobody is... really talked like that or acted that way except it was like that a tiny subculture of people gets like blown out into right. having a bigger cultural impact than it really should because it makes for Exactly. Interesting. Entertainment. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what was happening here. Uh so <clears throat> did you find it interesting? 
just in like the year we're in now, there's a line where their their mother Lucy is talking with their grandfather who they've just moved in with, and he's like, "You're the only woman I know to have gotten a di- become poorer by getting a divorce." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Oh, I just you know I didn't want to put the family through all the legal proceedings and stuff too." And she's meant to be, you know, kind of like a good mom, kind person, a heroic character of sorts. So, like, is there some weird gender politics in there? Like, oh, she's so sweet. She didn't even ask her husband for <laughs> alimony or child support sure. or anything. Like, yeah, a, a little bit of like divorcee shaming or something like it that. It seems like suddenly. it, right? Yeah, yeah. That they went out of their way to, to say that line, and that's like, yeah, not something that's like would be said today. It must have been very of the times. Uh, for for d- divorces was I you know I haven't looked at like the rate of divorces over time but you know us like having grown up in the eighties like I feel like mid eighties to like early nineties like divorce wasn't like as common but it was like still like this thing that was like starting to take off and you'd have like a friend or two whose like parents had it so I, w- I wonder what like the overall stigma of it was at that time. And, uh, yeah, this film, like, you know, starting its, its characters, like, squarely in that role of, like, coming from, like, a divorce. And um, I feel like the movie kind of plays into that aspect more. And I, w- I wonder if that has to do with this being, like, the mid-80s and divorce kind of coming more to mainstream uh, over the next, like, years. What, what do you think? Possibly, yeah. I feel like divorce was pretty common in the 80s and 90s. Like, Yeah. Was that I when ha- they started to get common, or? I believe so. I think that's when they started to happen more often. Yeah. But- I don't. I don't have those stats in front of me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I've always thought too. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it seemed like a rare thing. At least, like growing up in Ohio, like yeah, you start to have a few friends who are, are in that boat. I sometimes wonder if our generation will have less divorces because we, so many of us, get married later than our parents did. Right. But then at the same time, I don't know if we actually do, or if it's just that the people around me do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a city rural area thing too. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Right, right, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to compare numbers. Okay, wow. All right, that was a weird tangent, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's a relative, uh, a relevant theme throughout the film, the, yeah. the divorce. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. They don't talk about their dad at all. Yeah, but I, th- I feel like someone tries to play a dad figure and it might be pl- touching on that. Okay, yeah, sure. So as they all explore the town, their mother, Lucy, gets a job at a video rental store along the boardwalk, where her boss, Max, takes a liking to her and begins courting her. Sam frequents a comic book shop where two of the young employees, the Frog Brothers, uh, one of whom is Corey Feldman, give him horror comics about vampires that they say could save his life. Have you noticed uh, <laughs> everyone acts like a real tough guy in this movie? Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even these like young teens in the comic book store just like really trying hard to like show some swagger to each other. Yeah, like how low they're talking and like trying to sound all macho. Corey Feldman's always talking <laughs> like this. Is that who he always talks? Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, I'm like, is that anywhere near his real voice? Or <laughs> yeah, is he, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, kind of yeah. like some get some secondhand embarrassment watching that. It, yeah, it's it's a big show of force. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I I was surprised uh, how quickly they jumped to like the vampire. Like, hey, check out this vampire comic. It's almost like they've just been hanging around waiting for someone to walk in to give them like a vampire comic. Like their propaganda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did feel like very pro- propagandish. It's funny. Yeah, maybe everyone else ignores them. Yeah, best ignore the Frog Brothers. 
Uh, and Michael, the oldest brother, takes a liking to a young woman named Star, who seems to be in with the biker gang that we saw on the carousel earlier, and is possibly the gang leader David's girlfriend. He first spots Star, uh, of course, right after a concert on the boardwalk where we see a very muscular and extremely oiled up man playing the saxophone and gyrating his body sexily. That and dude... That dude's really famous, right? He's actually like a singer or a rock star or something? He's actually, yeah. He is a singer and rock star and a saxophonist. Um, yeah, strangely, this is like one of the, become one of the most like iconic, gifable moments of the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like this guy. This, this is definitely a gif. Yeah. I'd, I'd never heard of him. I forget what his name was, but uh, yeah. Tim Capello. Do you, do you know who that is? Like what band was he in or anything? I know. He... He did have a band. I can't remember his band name, but he toured with really big acts like oh, Tina yeah. Turner, Tina Peter Turner, Gabriel. Right. Yep. Um, and he was known to perform in a G-string on occasion. Damn. There was even a performance where Carly Simon came out on stage pulling him on a leash, like, <laughs> and he had like a dog collar and like it was a whole like S&M bit. Damn. Can't wait till you get to that part of your saxophone lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I, and next week's going to be next week the leash real comes interesting. Out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh okay the biker gang oh has oh this, go ahead this, this guy uh liking um what's her name is her, is her name uh sarah star oh star <laughs> right of course mm-hmm. uh yeah i feel like that's an understatement like the way he uh stares her down like he can't like take his eyes off her like that how awkward was that to, to watch um hmm it's a steamy movie so it just feels kind of at home the oh, leering okay like feels a, like what you do in a movie like this. Sure, you just like she was kind of she was doing it back too. A little bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually, if someone's like looking at you for like ten minutes, like nonstop, like that, you gotta look back. You, little, you gotta do something. Yeah. Well, he was also kind of her mark too. We later learn. Oh yeah, right. So the biker gang has some weird interactions with Michael that are part challenge to the death, part olive branch of friendship, uh, like a motorcycle race near a cliff. Um, Eventually, they seem to take him in and bring him to their underground lair. There's also a pretty iconic scene where they have him hang underneath a moving train on a railroad bridge and then drop from the bridge. Um, When he does so, he awakes in his own bed, seemingly magically. But anyway, in their underground hideout, they give Michael Chinese food that they at first insist are maggots and worms. And at this suggestion, Michael sees these critters in the food, and he's unsure if he's hallucinating or what's going on. Eventually, the gang leader, David, gives Michael a bottle and tells him that if he drinks it, if he drinks this blood, he'll become one of them. Michael kind of scoffs at this, assuming the blood thing is just a gag, and he drinks the bottle. These secret hideouts were so big in the 80s and 90s. Like yeah. It reminds me of Goonies and Ninja Turtles and stuff right. like that. Yeah, yeah. It had like, these huge underground layers. Yeah, <laughs> remember like the, the Foot Clan's like, oh, layer or whatever? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yep. Yeah. Arcade games everywhere, free oh, cigarettes. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, what do you think is driving Michael here? Because, like, um, I, I can't tell what's going on. Because he, uh, he likes Star. We know that. And these guys are a threat. And he gets really upset at the lead guy, David, when, like, he almost, like, bikes off of a cliff. But he's also kind of just, like, following them along and, like, buying into, like, giving into, like, the peer pressure. Um, what, what was your take on this? Like, was it believable that like this dude who is uh, coming, trying to come in between you and this girl, you like, you're like basically doing everything he's asking you to, uh, was it like maybe some kind of vampire power that was like making him 
so loyal and devoted to this guy at like on on this first meeting or was it like the situation that he's in where he's moved to this town and he doesn't have any friends and he's just desperate for anyone to take him in it might be that he just moved to this town and is desperate but yeah i i understand what you're saying there it's not super clear why you would get in with this gang who <laughs> is seemingly like maybe dating the girl you want to be dating it's it's weird <laughs> and, and it's like maybe trying food. to kill you yeah exactly <laughs> but here's some chinese foods in a way. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean maybe he maybe some part of him wants to be like this rock star and yeah. have this appearance they're like super cool leather clad the trinkets on these guys they like rattle when they walk into a room like mm. you can hear all the accessories on them like jingling <laughs> Yeah, they're decked out. <laughs> they're very decked out. Yeah. Um, so in the following days after drinking from this bottle, Michael undergoes some changes. His attitude becomes cocky and rude. He's wearing sunglasses inside. And when his little brother Sam confronts him about this, he notices that Michael's reflection in a mirror is almost transparent. In a moment of weakness, Michael almost attacks Sam before their dog stops him. Sam's unsure if he should keep Michael away or help him, but eventually Michael convinces Sam he's only half vampire and he's not going to hurt Sam. I, I really enjoyed uh, Sam's reaction to his brother being a vampire. I think I think that was like a, a big part of like the heart in the film is like their relationship and how he's like, oh, I'm going to tell mom you're, you're becoming a vampire or like how he's like trying to beg his brother to like see him for who he is still and like help him out. Like, would you, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think like the the love between two brothers is always a strong anchor for a story. And yeah. I do think it's clear. It's not like super explicit all the time, but they kind of are looking out for each other and their buddies despite their age difference and Right. Yeah, it, it's kind of touching that he's like I need your help and he he's going to do it even though he tried to kill him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fine. Um but yeah, we we know Michael's only half and there's a scene where they're trying to like get him to be a full vampire and it's kind of in unclear that the gang we don't get any like full on like oh yeah the gang is definitely vampires until they kind of take him to a uh, a scene where like a couple i think it's a couple from the carousel is like having a bonfire and they all out attack them and they're like this is your chance Michael join the club mm. like initiation is over it's time to join the club he doesn't kill anybody or feed, but that's the moment when you're like, okay, these are vampires and they're trying to turn him completely. I, I thought that was a cool scene visually with uh, them in the trees, uh, like kind of stalking that group that's dancing around the fire. Uh, that looks really cool. But then the actual attack, I didn't feel like was edited very well. Like you didn't see a lot of action going on. It was like very quick cuts. Uh, what, what did you think? There are a lot of quick cuts, but at the same time, you get a decent amount of like, blood spurts and some horrifying images in intermixed there and some good vampire makeup yeah yeah on their faces yeah yeah they, i like how their faces transform yeah wait a minute is this pg-13 or is this r mm. if i had to guess i would say pg-13 but yeah you know what i might look this up because now i'm really curious yeah i kind of wish it was r you wanted to see the saxophone dude without pants on? Yeah. <laughs> fuck those pants, man. <laughs> yeah, fuck those it's stupid pants. It's R. It's rated R. Oh, it is? Oh, damn. Yeah, I mean, this scene, it, 
I hear what you're saying. They they cut a lot and uh, avoided showing things v- extremely explicit, but there was some gore here. Yeah, and they still kept the pants. Weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Maybe we'll get the p- pantsless saxophone cut, <laughs> yeah. the G-string and the leash version. and collar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, but with the help of the Frog Brothers, Sam and Michael determine that if they can kill the head vampire, Michael will turn back to normal. And this is all based on the comic book that they gave to Sam, right? I bo- I think these the Frog Brothers are just they're educated. On yeah. the topic of vampires, maybe via comic books. Yeah, that, that this part like felt very uh, rushed to me because like I, I feel like in most vampire things you have like this discovery phase where like uh, you're seeing weird things happen and he starts to put together slowly. Uh, I feel like the Frog Brothers kind of like jumped that whole uh, process and basically gave this guy the book on how this all works, which is kind of cheating in in, in 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 one way. But I don't know. Um, I don't think it's uncommon for a movie to have, like, an expert. You know, that's a common plot point is you go see, like, yeah. some voodoo expert or whoever, and they're like, the only way to yeah. do the do the blah, blah. <laughs> sure. And that's no, what I... the Frog Brothers are, just with a deeper voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree. You always, you always have that expert that you seek out in a library you go to. But usually that's, like, driven by a character seeing, like, a bunch of weird things and wondering what's going on, and then they seek out someone. Here, like, the Frog Brothers are basically, it's like a sale, like, that they've preempted. Like, they've come even before there was a need, basically handed them a book even before like any talk of vampires is happening being like hey here's a vampire book it's going to be helpful for you so uh effective strategy like yeah uh that's great but that's usually not how it goes usually you would expect sam to be like well what the fuck's going on how do i find out more and then find the frog brothers yeah i mean that's because the frog brothers take initiative (laughs) they get in front of the they get out in front of it yeah exactly they're (laughs) go-getters yeah that's true uh, okay, so, yeah, they determine they got to kill the head vampire, and then Michael will turn back to normal. They have a theory that Max, Michael and Sam's mom's boss at the video rental store, who she's also dating, is the head vampire. And how how do they figure that out again? I, that I don't know. I don't know how they got to that. Yeah. Maybe just their knowledge of the town, they've always been curious about him or something like that. Okay. Yeah. This movie feels like it maybe had a scene or two that was cut or like missing almost. <laughs> yeah. Now yeah, that you talk like about it, got it's it. almost too efficient. Right, right. Yeah, I feel like the, a lot a lot of the these guys like knew a lot more than like they should have at a certain point. Um but I feel like as the viewers we're already suspicious of Max because we saw a scene where like he's walking home and he hears like vampires coming and then the scene cuts basically. Yeah, right. It's almost like there's a threat of vampires, but then nothing happens to them. Yeah. So w- when they say this theory now, it's like pretty believable. I ne- I did not. That didn't spark suspicion in me. Hmm. Oh. Okay. Okay. But good uh, on you. Yeah. The two things. I mean. I mean, like he's a familiar actor, so it's like, why, why do you have this dude in this role? And then, um, that yeah. The second thing was like, why why do we have this scene where like it looks like he's being attacked, but then we don't see like the end of that. Okay. But Rosemary's Baby, nothing. <laughs> Still on the fence. Didn't see that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. TBD. All right. With the hell, where the hell am I actually now? So one night when their mom has Max over for dinner, the Frog Brothers join as Sam's guests. They trick Max into eating garlic. They pour holy water on him, and they hold a mirror up to his face. However, none of this seems to affect Max, so they figure they must have the wrong guy. He's not actually 
the head vampire. The next day, Michael, Sam, and the Frog Brothers venture into the vampire lair together while the vampires are sleeping. Michael finds Star and a young boy named Laddie, who is also in with the vampire gang, and Star reveals to him that both she and Laddie are half vampires. And Michael was supposed to be her first feeding. Uh, but a kiss between the two reveals that they're falling for each other. Michael helps her and Laddie escape while Sam and the Frog Brothers discover the sleeping vampires and they plunge a stake through the heart of one of them, played by Alex Winter, who's Bill from Bill and Ted. Oh, yeah. Uh, They kill this vampire, but this wakes the others. The whole gang barely escapes and returns to Sam and Michael's home where they await an inevitable ambush at night once the other vampires can come out at night. Hey, um, let me ask you something about this uh, rescue mission scene. Go ahead. Uh, so you yeah, really they, you've got some. I feel like you got some logic <laughs> problems with this. Movie I do. And yeah, motivation I'm, problems. I'm struggling this this time around a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, first off, the whole relationship between Star and, and this guy is like so underdeveloped. But like, it's, 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 I'm confused about that too. Yeah, like it, calling even calling the relationship is like a, a stretch. Uh, but Star basically came to him the night before. And is like, you got to save yourself. And then she goes back to the lair. And then on this day, while he's very weak, he has to save Star. So he goes to the lair to get her. Like, why didn't he just keep her when she came to the house the night before uh, to talk to him? Like, did, did you understand that? No, I didn't. I also didn't quite understand. Like, okay, so he was supposed to be her... First like kill. victim and her first kill and then like the feeling between Michael and this gang and the gang and Michael was mutual where they're like actually we want him to be yeah. our buddy <laughs> <laughs> never mind I yeah, like him cool. yeah Michael yeah he rides like, a motorcycle cool yeah exactly yeah what do they do like just like uh yeah pull him over sorry star you can hang for a while he's he's yeah. our friend <laughs> you gotta find someone else <laughs> yeah we're gonna yeah. take sax lessons with him yeah didn't expect that bromance to take off Right. I mean, I there and there you go too. Maybe there's some un some implied sexual attraction, you know, among the men somehow. Right. 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 Or, or implied homoeroticism. Yeah. Under the radar there. Yeah, that's definitely a theme I want to come back to. I heard some interesting views there, but yeah, I, I couldn't understand why why he couldn't just tell Star to spend the night there versus like this whole exercise of yeah the, the, the whole effort of going there. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think Michael really knows what the hell to do. He really he needs these young frog brothers to, <laughs> to tell him what's what. Yeah. Um, so they prepare themselves with squirt guns full of holy water, crossbows loaded with wooden stakes, etc. Um, and they are ambushed, as expected. The frog brothers and Sam take care of one of the vampires upstairs in the house using holy water with an assist from the dog who topples the vampire into a bathtub full of garlic and holy water. Then Sam impales another vampire downstairs using a crossbow armed with a wooden stake, and the vampires impaled upon the stereo, which sends sparks flying everywhere and is an impetus for the death by stereo line from Sam. Michael engages in a mid-air battle with David downstairs. They're kind of like flying around and eventually forces him into some horns of various taxidermied animals that his eccentric grandfather works on. 
So they've extinguished all these vampires, right? Yeah. Were you surprised with like how relatively, it just seemed like really easy. Like a dog pushes one into the water. The other one like falls into stereo and dies. And, and, and then, uh, Michael, who's like super weak and like napping half the time this day, suddenly like is able to overthrow this dude. Like, uh, I don't know. Were were you shocked by any of this? I mean, it's nighttime now, so he's not, he's out of napping mode. Oh, Um, that's why he was napping. Okay. It does, yeah, right. Because he's a vampire. I thought it's because because he hadn't fed. Like he was like, yeah, I thought he like was weak because he hadn't eaten yet. Oh yeah, that could be part of it too. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, I just crazy that that he was able to overpower uh, David. Like uh, it, it did seem a little easy and and kind of fast. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a good like back and forth with the one vampire who like lifted Sam into the air. And then I can't remember if it was Michael or one of the Frog Brothers squirted him with a squirt gun of holy water, which caused him to drop Sam. And then, yeah. Yeah. There was some back and forth. But this movie is just, it's quick and efficient and maybe too quick for its own good sometimes, I'm realizing now. Sure. It's like some things aren't really fleshed out. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe it's not like uh, letting there be room for like some of the suspense or scares. Right, yeah. It's 97 minutes, so it's yeah. it's a short movie. Mm-hmm. Um. So with all the vampires now dead, Michael Starr and Laddie are disappointed to find that they don't feel any different. Uh, They don't seem to be cured from their half-vampirism. They conclude that the head vampire must still be out there somewhere. And now at this time, Sam and Michael's mother, along with her boss Max, return home from their date to find the house in shambles. And as Lucy is admonishing her boys for the mess, Max apologizes and said, It's really his fault. It's his boy's fault. And he reveals that he's the head vampire, and he instructed uh, his boys to turn Michael and Sam uh, into vampires as a way to get to Lucy so that she wouldn't be able to refuse turning into a vampire herself because all lost boys need a mother, and he was hoping Lucy would be theirs. I don't think these guys are actually his kids, but that's kind (laughs) of the relationship there. And, And you didn't feel like this was a circle around to the idea that, like, the movie starts with her leaving her husband and like being this divorcee and uh here's a guy trying to like kind of make the a family whole potentially in his view yeah right i guess they just split he's trying to get their split family you know to be a nuclear family sure right. i guess there's some ties there yeah yeah and there's a line he says earlier on about like uh parents i'm not like, trying to be your dad or i'm not trying to yeah. replace your dad yeah. exactly yeah yeah I, th- I thought they had some vibes like that going through sure I, I but you don't see michael or sam go through any like wringing yeah. of hands or or sadness like oh i miss dad or yeah i exactly. wish it didn't work out this way right yeah yeah exactly you don't see we, that we don't ever really take much time to get too deep into somebody's right world or their shoes or, or what they're really going through Right, right, exactly. Um, so yeah, is Max is about to bite Lucy and change her into a vampire. Uh, Sam and Michael's grandpa crashes his truck through the house and slams Max into a fence post, which impales him. Uh, with the head vampire now defeated, Michael, Laddie, and Star all return back to their former selves. They're feeling good. And the movie concludes with Grandpa proclaiming that there's one thing he never could stomach about living in Santa Carla, all the damn vampires. <laughs> <laughs> which reveals to the boys that he knew about the vampire problem all along, which, why wouldn't you tell them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to re- let, let them get their news from the comic book shop. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, a nice uh, line to end on. Right. I, I like that grandpa character. He's pretty funny. Yeah, he's fun. 
fun. Yeah. A lot of open questions as I go through the plot there and hear you pick it apart. <laughs> I, you, you make a lot of good points. A lot of things are just kind of breezed over. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of breeze over for sure, yeah, which is unfortunate because I feel like a lot of cool ideas are, are in, in motion here, but yeah, I feel like they don't really come back or explain them or circle back, which could be to your point. Maybe uh, there's a lot of scenes that got cut that would have explained a lot more. Right. But I don't know. Do you notice with this movie and so many movies in the 80s and 90s, like I think about Goonies or Gremlins, um, maybe even like Home Alone to an extent, things the production design is very cluttered like there is bric-a-brac and clutter all over everyone's houses and bedrooms Mm. like even if it's organized and nice like any kid's bedroom in the 80s or 90s in a show had like tons and tons of decoration and like trinkets like perfectly arranged on various shelves and people's houses were like that in general too like there's just so much stuff on yeah. set yeah it's it's just a really interesting byproduct of that era or like trademark of that era that is that is that not true anymore i like i i, I always assume like if you walk into someone's house with kids like there's gonna be like a bunch of stuff everywhere is that is that not the case like uh has that gone away in the past decades no i mean i, th- I still think that exists but it's not even just like the kids stuff it's just like yeah everything it's just like maybe it's just a how interior decorating has changed right. over the years like things have gotten simpler and sleeker yeah more minimalist lately yeah uh, more right. exposed uh, surfaces have come into style yeah I wonder if that was like a 80s 90s uh, touchstone of like yeah what how was house is supposed to look exactly and yeah and I don't again I don't know if that's the way houses actually did look or if that's the way people right you know just made them look in Hollywood yeah yeah no, that's, a good, that's a good point yeah you're right a lot of movies have that and especially kids' rooms. Um, hey, the the half vampire thing that you mentioned um, is that a concept we've seen in other films? Man, I'm so bad with vampire rules and logic and stuff. Um, and actually, I don't think we've discussed that many vampire movies on the yeah the show. I I don't think we've seen many of that, like yeah. half vampire, and you're not fully until you feed or something yeah. feed there's also a weird rule where like I didn't even mention it in the plot plot walkthrough but the tricks didn't work with Max because they invited him into the house that was some bullshit I've never heard of Th- that that's kind of bullshit normally it's yeah. just a vampire can't get in unless you invite them in right that doesn't mean like suddenly they're like uh, they can't they're invincible right <laughs> right exactly that does yeah okay I think you're poking a lot of holes in this movie and I feel like normally I push back <laughs> but you're yeah, you're so right. Fun. You're right on a lot of things. They they just kind of did whatever worked for the plot. And yeah, I have to wonder if that original, more Goonies based script was a bit more airtight with the the logic and the rules and the motivations. It could have been. Any, I think any movie has the rights like make its own rules too. Like uh, it's not like you had to subscribe to like one version of Vampire. So I right I mean, like uh, I mean that's fine if like that's the universe they want to make. Um, in in the other like thing where I think they diverge uh, the garlic not uh, it seemed like this version of vampires garlic had like no impact on on them right right yeah 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 so uh, yeah I mean I, I just kind of like been like okay yeah these are some new rules than than that we've seen from other films I, I don't think it's a knock necessarily yeah right it, it, it's just very convenient yeah I, I think maybe <laughs> it wouldn't be such a knock if there weren't a bunch of other things where you're just like huh right but yeah. Yeah, it, it still, it doesn't really prevent me from enjoying it, but it's interesting points. Yep, yep. 
Um, yeah, and going back, so I I listen to a podcast. I, I really uh, listen to podcasts of movies. You ever ch- check out a podcast of a movie that we're about to talk about? Every once in a rare while, I, I used to do it more, but I don't I don't anymore. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really do. Uh, I checked one out, though, today at work. I was kind of bored. Um, you ever heard of a podcast called Shat the Movies? Yes, I have. Yeah, it seems like a fun podcast. I never, I never listened to them before. But they, they did a great episode on this film, and I, I think you hit on some of the things here. One of the hosts called out that he thinks this movie, uh, the big theme here is you have Michael battling his own sense of... Um, becoming uh or being uh homosexual i guess um mm. and like acting on those desires and that the the group of the lost boys represent like the temptation to get him to that side and he calls out that like yeah a lot of the victims in this film are like males um i think they're like and then even looking at like sam as the younger brother like the uh how he is like perceived um the song he's singing in the bathtub the poster of um oh, who's that actor that he Rob has on Lowe. his wall Rob Lowe yeah I did notice that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so so and then and then like what you mentioned at the top of this about Joel, Joel uh, Shoemaker the director right or Schumacher yeah. Schumacher yeah Schumacher yeah yeah so uh, I don't know like did, did that I, I thought it was a really interesting uh uh approach but what do you think yeah, I did notice the the t- the Rob Lowe poster in the bedroom. So that would imply that both brothers were gay, then, right? Potentially, that Sam's- yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So like that was the. It's interesting though too, because then so Joel Schumacher made a movie about a guy maybe getting in with the gay community, but then all the gays, all the gay guys are murdered. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, oh the, yeah, the vampires, and defeated, yeah, right. and he yeah. wins by not having to go right. over to their side like that's Which, where it gets a little problematic it does but this is like the 80s you got the AIDS pandemic and like how media was treating uh, homosexuals at the, in, in that era um, I could see it like aligning with that time and like what you heard in the media potentially yeah maybe maybe it's an interesting way to look at it um, what, what, what did I, you think like what, you think this was like straight vampire did, did you like I, I was leaning towards more like this was about um you know, moving somewhere, trying to be accepted by a new group, uh, maybe drug alcohol addiction vibes there. But did you pick up on any other parallels potentially? You know, I was thinking about it as a Western almost. Oh. And I haven't seen many Westerns, so maybe I can't quite uh, do this very well. But I was thinking about it with the outfits and just how decked out they are. Nobody moves in the movie without you hearing the leather that they're wearing like creaking <laughs> and like yeah. they walk it sounds like they're spurs kind of when they like walk into a room like yeah. the, all their jewelry and everything Jingling. dangling from yeah. their leather and whatever and I think it could be a western plot where you know our heroes come into town they find out there's a bad element in town there's these outlaws right and They've kind of got a, a woman in their midst who's like in with them, but doesn't really want to be in with them. And it's their job to like rid the town of the outlaws, save the woman, and the yeah. woman becomes the love interest. And the motorcycles are horses, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, the the way it was shot and the the sound design with the clothes and everything, I'm not saying that was an intention, but it really kind of struck that chord with me. Just like these dudes, like. 
coming walking in with their swagger and like the competing egos kind of um with the motorcycle race it's almost like a like a horse race or like gunslinging competition it's just like a pissing contest a bit Mm -hmm. and i don't know i I I don't know where to go with it from there but yeah, I feel like if they had taken that approach and stuck to that, I, I think this would have been a much stronger film. I, I think where it gets uh, tough, though, is I feel like at the end, the battle wasn't to clear the town of vampires. It was more to save Michael and uh, this woman that he was supposedly in love with, even though they've had like two lines of dialogue between them. But I, I think if they had that motivation, like this town is plagued, plagued with the... Uh, vampires we gotta do what we can to like free the town otherwise everyone's gonna die like i I would have liked that a lot more but this just felt like so like focused on one person who by their own accord became uh infected in this situation right right yeah and i mean he i do think you could look at parallels with like drugs or just getting in with the wrong crowd like yeah they're essentially trying to save the soul of their older brother as they see him going down a path he shouldn't be going down exactly yeah that's that's what it felt like like the mom tries to have a sit down with him and stuff like that. Yeah, um, right. To no avail. But I think that's part of it for sure. But I do think you have certain elements of like everyone knows, like the comic book guys, like they know this element in, is in town. Like grandpa yeah. does too. And he's made out to be a bit of a recluse. They don't go into it much, but right. you know, it's like a barkeep who's like, oh, I don't go out after sundown. Like not with the so-and-so party gang around. Yeah. Uh, and then comes in the end and like saves the day basically. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's, a, it's a good comparison. It makes sense. Uh, right, like he's been living under the thumb of these outlaws and in, in in fear for years and then he conquers. Right. Plays a part in conquering them too, you know. Right. It's like a it's like a barman coming up from hiding under the counter to crack one of them on the head with a beer bottle in the end. Like, exactly. You know, yeah. give the good guys a leg up to finally get them over the hump. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's a good parallel. That makes a lot of sense. Um the question, though, on the Frog Brothers, though, who are there and, like, obviously um, are an aid and a resource that, like, help battle these uh, vampires, what have they been doing this whole time uh, outside of, like, trying to convince people that there are vampires around? Like, uh, it seems like this is the first time they're actually, f- like, fighting one. Yeah, I mean, they're just kids, man. Give them a break. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they they seem like to know enough and like know how to like fight vampires and like there's a lot of uh, skills that they have, but like I don't know how they acquired them or like what they've been doing with them. Yeah, I mean, I think that they probably aren't brave enough to like go find the lair and do this. And they also don't know where the vampires live. Hmm. Uh, Michael's kind of the in in that. Like, you know, he knows where they live. He might know who the head vampire is. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that was a fun element of the film is like, uh, yeah, not knowing who the head vampire is and, uh, yeah, the, 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 the like, guesswork that's going on in, in Max and his role. I think on Wikipedia they call this, like, a comedy horror movie. Yeah. I don't, I don't agree. So? I mean, it's got humor in it, but I don't think enough to call it a comedy, right? There's yeah. definitely funny parts that are intended to be funny, but right, right. It's, it know. doesn't strike me as a comedy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many jokes you need to have for it to count as a comedy. Like from Sam's angle, like who who's the main character in this? Is it Michael or Sam? I think from Sam's angle, it's more of a comedy. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And and Michael's engaged in a very dramatic arc with <laughs> right. very little humor. Exactly, and a lot of naps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Which again is like very 
a big attribute of like a teenager who's just out partying all night getting yeah. in with the wrong crowd. Right. That was that was another part where um you know like, I think it was a cool shot like when they're hanging from the bridge and like they're, they're telling him to like let go and he does that and the next thing he wakes up on his mattress. Um but I think when he's talking to his mother, we learn that like it's been days of him kind of like sleeping in late, acting like a teenager. So right. uh, yeah, what, what, yeah, I, I think that it's cool like how there's some parallels with just like yeah, teenager being a teenager. Um, but also like question on like how the timing on this worked, like how long was had he been a vampire for? Sure. Right. Was it was that clear to you? Like was that the next morning or? Could yeah, that I don't know if it had been a few days or a few weeks or what. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah, I but, think is fine. I think it's okay to leave that kind of obscure uh, yeah i agree i agree but i, I like that uh, whenever it like it's, it's about like a coming into age or like something about uh, a teenager to adult or that whole transition I, I think that's pretty cool yeah right um i thought the cinematography was i mean it's not particularly like oh wow like dazzling but it's pretty tight and like it had a very clear aesthetic to the movie yeah yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's a, just very 80s. I mean, it helps having someone who shot the Goonies shoot this, too. It just, like, right. they do feel like you could do, like, a double feature of these two. Yeah, yeah, I think you could. Yeah, they go, they go back to back. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has a, its own feel to it. And in some of those shots, like, I, I love, like, the cinematography on the motorcycle chase, like, on this, like, cloudy cliff, uh, even the bridge scene with them hanging, um, the cave scene... Uh, is is cool cinematography. What did you think of all like the nonsense or like the uh, the 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 insane insanity that hits like the house at the end, like with all the toilets exploding and blood and stuff streaming out everywhere? Oh yeah, I forgot about the toilets. Is that because the one dude dies in the bathtub and <laughs> then so. yeah, he, it makes all the stuff explode? <laughs> I think so. Uh, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. That's, that's, I've, that's I've told cool an exploding toilet story on the podcast before, so you know, <laughs> I, know. I believe it. I thought that would be familiar to you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there's some cool shots in this. Uh, and, and that was, that was that a, a fun element. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, well, let's see. Zero to five. Um, hmm, I have a scale, but I feel like I should come up with a new one. I'll just say zero to five leather jackets. What do you give this movie? Uh, zero to five leather jackets. I would, I would give this three leather jackets. I, I think I liked this film a lot more last time I saw it. And I think a lot of it is the nostalgia factor of this film that keeps uh, it going. But overall, I felt like it's a really fun watch. And it's a, but, it, but, but at the end of the day, I feel like it's a vampire film that's missing its bite. Uh, we, we have very underdeveloped characters and underdeveloped scares. And, you know, I, I think we have to acknowledge the legacy that this film has had on the genre. But I, I think it also may have diminished the scariness of vampires by focusing too much on style versus substance and uh, replacing scariness with sexiness. So I, I think it might have done the genre some uh, damage overall. Uh, what about you? You know, I gave this a four out of five leather jackets, but the discussion makes me want to dial it back down to 3.5. I'm sticking with a four, though. I think the tight plot, strong performances, which we didn't touch too much on, but those were fairly fairly effective performances. Mm-hmm. And the detailed production design keep you engrossed for the entire 97-minute runtime. It's an easy watch and an all-around likable movie. It's very efficient, perhaps too efficient at some points in time. But I appreciate the the breeziness of the watch and just kind of kicking back and enjoying, and then you know 
the movie's over. <laughs> it's not a movie to think about that much. Like it isn't. Yeah, discussing this, like the themes and stuff like that with you, <laughs> it's not really a movie that burned itself into my brain. Like even. I always thought like, oh, that's kind of an overrated movie. And then I looked back at the spreadsheet and I'm like, oh, I gave it a four last time too. Yeah. You did as well, by the way. So you dropped a full point. Yeah. But I think it's just so light that it's just in and out kind of like, at least for me, I know for people who saw it in the eighties or when they were younger, it's burned into their brain. They probably know it by heart. To me, it's not particularly memorable, but it is very enjoyable and likable. Yeah, I agree. Very enjoyable and likable. And I, I would agree with you. Like, if this was uh, viewed as like a light movie where you're not like trying to find themes or like drill into characters too much or anything, then yeah, it's very fun and like it does what it has to do very efficiently. But I, I think what bums me out is there's so much promise uh, between who you have behind this. And then like some of the lines are like pretty hilarious. Like, uh, there's some great like heartwarming scenes between Sam and Michael. Um, and like the dialogue and his reaction to him becoming a vampire and the fi- family dynamics going into this of like coming out of divorce, settling into new town. They're just such great setups that I feel like they didn't never, they, they never kind of circled around and like brought into the story, um, which I almost would have liked it more if they hadn't set it up that way. Cause otherwise I feel like you put something great on the table and then didn't return back to it and like, you know, circle it out, uh, as much as you could have. So it, fe- it feels like a big missed opportunity on a lot of things. Right. It's like they didn't mine the ingredients to see if there was more they could make from them. Exactly. Kind of. yeah, yeah. 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 There, It's kind of ripe for digging, going deeper into quite a few elements of the movie, but exactly. they don't. And it's yeah. funny because it's 97 minutes. I don't know if I'd want it to be much longer. And it does feel hyper efficient, but at the same time, it's like, how did we miss some of the, like, how did we not get deeper into their relationship or- right. Or what really was going on with anybody, <laughs> honestly, anyone's relationship with each other, it was all kind of questionable. Just like, oh, suddenly she's like yeah, into her boss and he's into her and okay, that's right. a thing now. And yeah, now he's obsessed with Star. and Yeah, it ends up being a little rushed, I think. Yeah, it does feel rushed. I'll, I'll give you that. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I really feel like my four is maybe too high now, but... Uh, I mean, I mean, it is a classic. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just... It just feels like an <laughs> easy and enjoyable <laughs> watch is like the phrase that keeps coming back to me. Like, yeah, popcorn movie for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd rewatch this any day. It's 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 fun to watch. It's a uh, fun watch. I, I feel like they can lead into the arm more. Uh, and, and I mean, like, did you see anyone actually get bitten in this? Boy, I don't know if you really ever see a bite happen. Yeah, right for a vampire film. Yeah, and for a sexy vampire film at that. Exactly. Like, less pants, more bites. Right? Wouldn't hurt. Um, oh, I just had something that I was going to say, and I totally lost it. Oh, okay. So I know, you know, people, horror fans get kind of upset about remakes and, like, don't remake a classic. I know this one was never near and dear to my heart, but I could really see, based on some of the things we're talking about, remaking this and really, like, mining some elements that weren't very well touched upon in this and, like, really Mm -hmm. making another movie that was very similar but took a different approach at the same time and just was also very strong and coexisted like i could see a remake a good remake same yeah i think there's a lot of material to work on here that that, yeah yeah would offer you could take all these same parts and just yeah make quite a quite a different movie while also being fairly similar having same the same bones exactly 
exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I hope someone does that in the future. Yeah, maybe this thing will end up actually happening with uh, Noah Jupe and and the other guy. Yep, yep. Yeah, I I think a lot of the praise this movie gets and like the high uh, Rotten Tomatoes score, um, do you think a lot of it's just like the nostalgia for it or... Yeah, but I also do just feel like it's very watchable. It's very, like, capably directed. Just, like, yeah. the pace and everything is good. It's... Yep. Yeah. Cool. It's actually only got a 76, you know? That's that's oh, high. Yeah. I mean, it's fresh, for sure. Well above fresh, but... Yeah, that's a good know, point. It's not 80s, 90s. Right, right. Okay. Uh, okay, man. I, I think that's all I got to say about this. How about you? Uh, yeah, that's all I had. All right. Well, that has been our episode on The Lost Boys, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to connect with us about it or anything else, you can go to horrormovieclub.com. There's a contact form there. There's a social links drop down where you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter. We're on Instagram, too, at Horror Movie Club Podcast. We announce on all those platforms what we're going to cover next week. Uh, our Discord server is a fun place to come chat with other horror fans and listeners, so you can do that. You can find that link at horrormovieclub.com in the social links drop down as well um, our art our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart you can check her out on etsy.com by searching Amy Mae Popart if you want a little coaster set that she made that includes our logo on it uh, you can find that you can just google horror movie club coaster set uh, I think that's about it you can always email podcast at horrormovieclub.com that's another way to get in touch with us we have a patreon with some bonus episodes and a couple of videos out there uh, that's a big orange button that you can click on at horrormovieclub.com to subscribe for a dollar a month. And until next time, if you're a divorcee who would rather be forced to move in with your eccentric father in Santa, Fla- Santa Clara, California, instead of going through the court proceedings to get alimony and child support, I would first consider that the town is crawling with vampires and people are constantly dying and going missing. <laughs> Start there. Think twice. <laughs> yeah. There's no it's shame. No shame at all. Take your time. Yeah.